Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We are up to 53b, uh, the second line from the bottom. And with Hashem's help, we're going to finish the fourth chapter of Ksuvas today. Nairish and Spat. Asked a question. Bas Shnia. If a person, the daughter of a forbidden marriage, it's called the Shnia, it's, it's rabbinically forbidden. Biblically, it's a permissible marriage, but the rabbis forbid the marriage. So the marriage is forbidden, and the Ksuba, part of the Ksuba is the promise that the daughter, that the daughter, yeah, that the, uh, the estate will provide. After the wife dies, the state will provide for their daughter. So, does it apply in this case or not? So, keep. What's the question? We continue on fifty-four a. Keep the since she doesn't have a and this is part of the ksuba. It's a condition of the ksuba. Maybe if it's a condition of the ksuba. So therefore, since there's no ksuba, so maybe the condition doesn't either apply. There is no, uh, the estate doesn't have to, doesn't have to uh, support the daughter. Idilma, perhaps. Idilma, ima, the of the suda, kansura, bana. Okay, what do you want from the poor girl? The mother. Since she doesn't have a ksuva, less than Since she doesn't have a ksuva, why? Because it violated the prohibition. The whole marriage is prohibited, so therefore she doesn't get any ksuva. So maybe this condition she doesn't need to get. Perhaps we can argue, the mother who violated the prohibition, she went against the rabbis, therefore the rabbis penalized her, and she doesn't get a ksuva. But E, the daughter of the ksuva, she didn't do any, she didn't violate any prohibition. It's her father's fault, her parents' fault. There's no reason. Why are you blaming her? She's an innocent victim. Like in Surah Rabbanan, the rabbis would not uh, penalize her. And she is entitled to get her, her, uh, her support. The mother says, take. We don't know the answer. It's a good question. Boy, Bas Arusa, the daughter of an Arusa, Arusa of the betrothal. Yeshlem is a and then the father dies, does she receive support from the estate? Or not? In other words, she had, she was not allowed to be with her husband because it's only the betrothal. You have to wait till the chuppah. But she went ahead and uh, was intimate with him. And uh, they gave birth. They gave birth to a daughter. So the question is, and then the husband dies. So the sons inherit the estate. But the question is, can the daughter demand support? The two sides of the, of the argument. Even this liksuva is Since the wife gets the ksuva, so therefore the daughter should also be entitled to the condition of the ksuva that she will be supported. From the estate, they come up. Keeping the skin, the rabbinic suva shas nisuyin leslo. But since the rabbis only, when did the rabbis say you must have a ksuva? 
When you get married, you're not allowed to marry, you're not allowed to live with a wife. You can't take her into your house, you can't do a chuppah, you can take her into your life until you have a ksuvah. There's no obligation to have a ksuvah from, from the time of the betrothal. So therefore, less love. So that even if there was a ksuvah, less she doesn't have, she shouldn't get, she shouldn't be entitled to get support from the estate. If he wrote in the ksuvah that he's going to take care of her, so for sure, well, why not? He, he promised. He, it's a document. It's a legal document. He obligated himself. We're talking about a case where he didn't write anything. It's, it's an automatic uh, enactment by the rabbis, even if you don't write it. The question is, in a case like this, since he was born from after the betrothal, from an illicit relation after the betrothal, maybe there's no obligation for his estate to pay to, to take care of her. So we support the husband now? The daughter, the husband died. The father died. The question is, is his estate, the sons who inherit the estate, if they're obligated to, to take care and support the sister. Okay. What is this take Boy, What about the daughter born from a rape? Is the father obligated to support her or not? About when he raped her when she was a nighter. And then the Torah says that there is a positive mitzvah, there's a prohibition that he must marry her. He has no choice. If she wants, the husband has to marry her. If she's good enough to sleep for one, she's good enough to sleep for the rest of your life. And he has no choice. He's not allowed to divorce her. And then they give birth to a daughter. So the question is, does his... And then he dies. Does his estate have to support her or not? Since the mother has a ksuva, so therefore it's part of the ksuva. One of the conditions of the ksuba is that he's going to take care of their daughter even after his death. Even though the sons will inherit the estate, they're responsible and obligated to take care of their what sister. Is the suyin is the complete marriage, the full marriage. I told him, perhaps, since the rabbis only instituted the ksuba to be written in time of suyin, then you must have a ksuba. Therefore, less law. So that, therefore, in this case, the daughter does not receive her support. Because the ksuba doesn't take effect until the marriage. Mm-hmm. What's the question? There's no question. Why? The Amr, Buddha said, he that he has to give her a ksuva. There's an argument whether in general the wife even gets a ksuva in such a case if she's raped. Because the whole purpose of a ksuva is that it shouldn't be easy for him to get rid of her. He can't get rid of her even if he wanted to. There's a prohibition. The Torah says, you have to marry her and you're not allowed to divorce her. You have to stay with her. So, so you don't need an enactment, you don't need a ksuba to make it too expensive for him to divorce her. But Abiyah says, no, she does get a ksuba. If the Taita promises to marry him, she also gets a ksuba. I mean, if Taita forces him to marry her, he also has to, has to uh, becomes obligated in all the obligations of the ksuba. But to go, to move only, it says only a mana because because she's not a virgin. She only gets a hundred because she's a non-virgin. Mm-hmm. So, 
according to Rabbi Yisrael, there is no question. Surely, if there's a ksuva, part of the ksuva is that he commits himself to take care of their daughter after his death. The question is, according to the rabbis, who say that the money paid for a fine takes care of ksuva obligations. There's no ksuva. So the question is, my key when less the ksuva, less the mazayin. Since she, the wife, doesn't have a ksuva, therefore all the conditions of the ksuva also don't apply. So the daughter does not have, doesn't get her support from the estate. They do perhaps ksuva time my The reason why the wife doesn't get a ksuva because what's the reason the rabbis enacted a ksuva? So it should be too expensive for him to divorce her. He won't be able to divorce her to discard her so easily. But in this case, he can't. Even if he wanted to, he can't divorce her. So there's no need for her to get a ksuva. Mm-hmm. But the, the other stipulations of the ksuva, the conditions that the daughter, that she's entitled after the death of a father, or the death of a husband, that the that she will be supported, that remains in place. Take what it says. We don't have an answer. Good question. Okay, the Mishnah said... The Mishnah said that part of the court-imposed ksuva condition is at the hey that the wife will live in the house, will be supported by the estate, as long as she's a widow, as long as she doesn't remarry. When the husband promises she'll live in my house, but not in my hut. In other words that if the husband leaves a house, then she gets to live. That's part of her right to continue to live in the house. The children can't kick her out. But if all he lives is a little hut, <laughs> um, a studio apartment, maybe she has to vacate in order of the ears. The ears have first right. They need a place to live. So she doesn't have a right over the ears. If it's a huge place, so they can live and she can live. So they have to allow her to live in the house, to stay in the house. <clears throat> promised her that she's going to live in the house. He didn't mean to displace his own children. <laughs> the ears. The men, on top of the ears, the ears have a place to live, but we're also going to give you a place to live. But if it's them or them or her, of course, they come first. Yeah. That's what Rabbi Yasef learned. But even if she has no place to live, if they get the hut, they get the bungalow. <laughs> but still, they still have to support her. They still have to give her food from the estate. He says, no. She doesn't even receive support for food. Because it depends on the lodging. If you get lodging, it comes with the lodging. Lodging comes with bread and breakfast and, and, and food <laughs> and dinner and lunch. But if you're not living, if we don't have to give you a lodging, then you're on your own. We don't, we don't have to take care of your food. We don't have to give you an account in the restaurant that you can <laughs> go ahead and eat. I think Mother concludes with us. The law does not follow Mabaravashi. The law follows Rabbi Yesu. Um, mm-hmm. wasn't that law. What if the widow? A marriage was supposed to the widow, and she accepted. They got engaged. 
the children, the orphans, no longer have to support her. She has a husband now who can take care of her. In other words, she's, in other words, she's no longer connected to her husband. She's moving on in her life. Now she's starting a new life. So the family is no longer, okay, goodbye. You're getting a new name, you're getting a new life. We don't no longer have to support you. But But if she doesn't accept, Yeshlam is in and she does get Mazaynas. Gemara's question is, even if she rejected the proposal, but why did she reject the proposal? Because she feels it's unsuitable for her. Still in all, she should lose her allowance, her, suspe- her Mazaynas. Why? Because she's, showed, she's ready to move on. If I find a suitable husband, I'm out of here, I'm done. I'm, I'm getting remarried. My marriage is over. He's dead, he's buried, I'm ready to remarry. So it doesn't make sense. Why should the children have to support her? If she's a widow and says, listen, I love my husband, I'm not ready to get married, I'm still attached to him. So then it makes sense that they're responsible to take care of her. But the moment she says, I'm ready to move on, I'm ready to get married, I'm just looking for the right one. Okay, he's not the right one. Even if she doesn't have, even if she doesn't have any money. No, we're talking about she has money. Yeah, 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 but it's not their responsibility. You're gone. You finished. You moved on. Right. So why, why should the children have to support him? So I'm Ravonon. Ravonon explained. It was explained to me what Shmuel meant to say. If she says, if she says that she's refusing the marriage because of my husband. The honor of my former husband, Yeshlam Azainas, then she continues to receive support. In other words, why isn't she remarrying? Because she's still attached to her husband. She's not ready to move on. But if she says, the only reason she turns down the Shidduch is because it's not suitable Shidduch, not a good Shidduch, doesn't like the Shidduch. But otherwise, if she has a good Shidduch, she would jump. She's ready to jump and remarry. Then you're right, she has no Mazainas. If she has out of if she has relationships, then she doesn't receive support. We're talking about she's a widow, she's single, but nevertheless, she's not remarrying and she's having relations out of wedlock. So in that case, she has no because she shows that she's no longer attached to her husband. Right. If the memory of her husband is so strong that she can't be with anyone, she's still in love with her husband, and her heart is aching and paining and grieving, and she just can't be intimate with anyone, that means her love, her attachment is still strong. That's why the husband's estate has to take care of her. But if she's sleeping around, then she's, then it's finished. Then, then the marriage is over, it's gone, the husband is gone, and there's no reason why in the world should they support him. She paints her eyes. Even if she puts on makeup mm-hmm. and braids her hair, she gets dressed up, it means she's showing, she's ready to move on. She's, she's looking for a partner, she's looking to get married, she's looking to... She's, she misses uh, the intimacy. Then it's over. Her marriage, her husband is a memory and it's, it's in the past and, and therefore she, the husband's estate no longer has to support her. So the one who says that if if she uh, she slept around 
illegally. How much more so? It, how much more so she would forfeit her her support if she um, if she puts on makeup? Well, maybe you can say, listen, she had an illicit relationship. She was she, she was sex sex deprived. You know, a person needs uh, so she needs it. So she had a one time uh, fear. But it doesn't mean that she she's over her husband. But here she's she's dressed, she's um, here she's uh, putting on makeup. She's I mean, she's ready to move on. She's no longer attached to her husband. She's consciously here. You can say it was it was a mistake. You know, she got caught up in the moment. It was you know she just felt lonely because she needed she needed uh, in, to be intimate with someone. So she went ahead and be intimate. Doesn't prove that a marriage is over with her husband. She got over her husband, but here she's consciously and deliberately putting on makeup and trying to present herself to find a suitable mate, it means the marriage is over, her husband is over. Mm-hmm. But the one who says that if she consciously dresses up and makes up, she, she puts on makeup, then she no longer is supported. But if she happened to have an illicit relationship, then she continues to receive support. My time, she had the She's lonely. She's, 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 she has a need. You know, it's a very strong drive. So she can't. She can't be celibate. She never signed up for celibacy. She's not a nun. So she she had a moment of weakness. Doesn't mean that she got over her husband. The Gemara says. The Gemara concludes. The law does not follow any of these teachings. If a widow demands payment for ksuva, then she no longer has has uh, her husband's estate doesn't have to support her anymore. That's the only thing. Only demanding ksuva is the only thing. That could uh, end her support. Nothing else. Not any of the. Not anything that we learned earlier. Not uh, putting on makeup or not uh, having illicit relationships. Not if she accepts a marriage proposal. Just because she accepts a marriage proposal, it's not irrevocable. She can. She can still uh, back out. But when she demands the ksuva, that's irrevocable. Okay, the marriage is over. Give me the ksuva. And therefore, from that point on, the ears are no longer obligated to support her from her, her, her late husband's estate. But it says, She doesn't receive support once she demands a ksuva, but Tanya will learn the braise. Machra ksuvasa. The woman sold the ksuva. She sold the ksuva. You know, it has monetary value. It's an interesting sale because it's like a gamble. You can't get the full value of the ksuva because it's not a definite thing. Ksuva, you can get nothing or you can get everything. If she predeceases her husband, if she dies first, there's no ksuva. The husband doesn't have to pay anything. So the one who bought the ksuva ends up with a zero, a big fat zero. So it's a gamble. It's a gamble. If, if the husband will die before her or the husband will divorce her, then she'll get a ksuva. So he'll get the money. So, so she has to sell it less than the value because it's not a sure thing. Mm-hmm. First, you never know when it's going to happen. She can get the ksuva. She can, he can die. He can live to 120. You know? <laughs> so she won't get it for another 50 years and maybe he'll never divorce her. Or maybe she can drop dead tomorrow and then there'll never be a ksuva. 
So, so whatever it is, but she sold the ksuv, mish ksuv If she used the ksuv as security for a loan, if you have a loan, this is the security. If I don't pay back, you can collect my ksuv. When, when it comes time, if and when I'll get the ksuv, the money will go to you as a repayment of the loan. Or she designated ksuv as a paitiki. To another, a paitiki means a paitiki, it's three words. That you dedicated this property by a debtor for repayment. In other words, the, the husband gave her land and said, This land is going to be used to pay your ksuva. Ksuva obligation is going to be paid from this property. This is designated to you. And then she took a loan. She designated this land, this appointment to repay her loan. This land, if it comes to me, if it ends up being my land, then you, you're going to get it for repayment of the loan. Mm-hmm. In all these cases, she does not receive support from her husband's estate. Mm-hmm. So the Braisa lists, if she sells Xuva, if she uh, uses Xuva as a, as a as if he pawns Xuva, if she writes, designates a ksuva, the apotheke to someone else, but it doesn't say, the b'raise doesn't say that if she demands a ksuva, she no longer is supported by the estate. What is it that she sells the ksuva and by, and by uh, pawning the ksuva? So she basically, it's as if she collected the ksuva already. As far as she's concerned, she read it like the sub and she gave it to someone else. Then the marriage is over. In other words, since she already collected the ksuva, so then that's it. All the conditions of the ksuva is over. She already sold that. She sold the rights. The ksuva is over. But if she forgives the ksuva, she demands the ksuva. Demanding alone doesn't mean until she actually collects the ksuva, she still is entitled to be supported. No, it's not a contradiction to Shmuel. Mother answers, In these cases where she sells the ksuva, where she pawns the ksuva, they are, doesn't matter whether it's in court or not in court. Either way, Either way, in that case, the marriage is already over. But Tevaz, but in the case where she demands the ksuva, it's only if she demands it in the court. Shmuel says, if she demands it in court, if she demands it from her husband outside of the court, then she still gets support. But once she's demanded in court, then the support is discontinued. When the Braisa only mentions the case where she sells a ksuva, she pawns a ksuva, that's because he's talking about it's outside the court. Outside the court, if she, even the, only these cases where she comes to her husband and demands a ksuva, or she comes to the children and demands a ksuva, the estate demands a ksuva, outside of court, that the marriage is still intact. In other words, she still gets support. Only when she demands it in court, then even if she demands it before she actually gets the ksuva, she no longer is entitled to support. Okay. It says in the mission, the men of Yerushalayim would write in the ksuva. People in Yerushalayim would write that you're going to sit in my house.
a house as long as you're a widow. But the people of Judea would write, you're going to live in my house and be supported from my state until the ears wish you to give you the ksuva. Therefore, if they want to give the ksuva, they can tell her to take the ksuva, and that's it, I'm no longer supporting you. The mother says, Itma, we learn, Rav says, Allah, country Yehuda. The law follows the people of Yehuda, that the orphans have a right, the ears have a right to give her a ksuva and to dismiss her, and they no longer have to support her. Shmuel, Shmuel argues, he says, No, Allah, country that she, they have no right to throw her out, to give her the ksuva. It's up to her. As long as she's a widow, she gets supported. She can live in the house and she gets supported by the, the ears by, from the estate. Prohibition of practicing sorcery. Prohibition of casting spells. and all the surrounding cities, they follow it out. Nardo. and all the surrounding cities. No, Kishmuel. They followed Shmuel's ruling. So Babylonia. So what is it? But, but when he says in Babylon the followers of Rav, it means other parts of Babylon, not Nardo, the surrounding city. So the rest of Babylon they followed Rav, but in Nardo, where Shmuel was the leader, they followed, and the surrounding cities they followed Shmuel's rule. A certain woman of Mechuz, city of Nardo, in Babylonia, Mechuz. But she was married to a man from Narda, and she lived, she moved in with him in Narda. The husband died. And they wanted, the ears wanted to pay off the ksuva. She didn't want, she was happy living at home, she wasn't ready to move on. And they wanted to stop supporting her. Also, the comment that Nachman came before Nachman. He heard from the widow's accent that she was from up. The rest of Babel and all the surrounding cities, they followed up. And therefore, the ears are allowed to force you. But the representatives of the woman said, But she married a Nardo, and her husband is from Nardo, and she moved and she's living in Nardo. And Nachman said to them, If that's the case, you're right. He heard from her accent that she was from, from Mechuzah. He thought maybe the marriage is from Mechuzah. When he heard that she was married in Nardo, and her husband is Nardo, and she lived in Nardo, he says, you're right. Here, the law follows Shmuel, and therefore you have a right to remain and to be supported by the state. The children, the heirs, the orphans can't force you to take the Ksuva. Till we're the cities reckoned as part of Nardo, the Sagi Kabed Nardo. However, the Nadon Kav travels. There was a certain measurement of a Kav that was accepted in Nadon. So whichever cities accept the measurement of Nadon, so they are part of Nadon. They follow the rules of Nadon. The only place where the law follows the Rav was in every place in, the, in Babylonia except Nadon and, it, and its surroundings. But what about outside Babylonia? There, the law follows like Shmuel because the, we have a general principle. Whenever there's an argument of Rav and Shmuel, so when it comes to matters of prohibition, we follow Rav. When it comes to financial matters, we follow Shmuel. So we follow Shmuel. Financial matters anywhere outside of Babylonia that um, that the um, the uh, children cannot. It's up to the wife. The children cannot uh, force their hand of the widow and give her a ksuva and stop supporting her.
Itma we learn. Amana widow. Rab said, we evaluate her clothing, whatever she's wearing, whatever she has, and we deduct it from the ksuva. Because her clothing also belongs to this state. So when you evaluate it, when you're giving her the ksuva, a certain amount of money, that includes the clothes that she's wearing, whatever she has. Whatever she has is from this state. Shmuel argues, says, no, in Shammah, mashallah, you don't evaluate what she has. Her clothing is her own property. Yes, Yes, the husband bought it or the state bought it, but now it's hers. Ksuva has to be on top of that. So we don't deduct it from the Ksuva payment. Her $1,000 dress or 100 pairs of shoes. <laughs> we, don't, we don't deduct it from, from the Ksuva, the ksuva payment. The reverse applies in the case of a field. Lear, Rav says that the clothing belongs to him. And you don't take it, off, take it away from his wages. You don't deduct it. And Shmuel says that since the clothing that he has belongs to his employer, so therefore you deduct it from the wages. Shmuel says the exact opposite. That a wife... So again, very quick. So Rav says, Rav makes a distinction. Of a worker, a wife, the intent was he gave her clothing because the intent was she's going to stay with him. She left him, she wants to leave. He never gave her the clothing with that intent. So you have to deduct it from the ksuva. A field and he never thought that he's going to stay with him forever. It's just a worker. So when he gave him clothing, he gave him clothing that it belongs to him. So therefore, you don't deduct it from, from, the, from, the, uh, from, the, from the salary. Shmuel says the exact opposite. A husband is obligated to take care of his wife. Feed her, clothe her. When he gave her clothing, he meant that she keeps it. So therefore you don't deduct it from her ksuva. In the case of a field hand, he's not obligated to give him clothing. You just lend her the clothing while you're working. If you want to keep the clothing, of course I'm going to deduct it from your salary. Avkanda masin, Avkanda taught otherwise. Chaim that lakit is the exact same thing. Rav and Shmuel, the same argument Rav and Shmuel have with a wife, whether you deduct it from the Ksuva. Rav says that that you. What's the underlying purpose of not being false That you deduct it from the Ksuva. And Shmuel says you don't deduct it from the Ksuva. The exact same argument would be in the case of the locket, in the case of the field hand. He's not paid by the hour, he just lives in the house and he takes care of him and he does whatever work is there and then when he leaves, he pays him. Mm-hmm. 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 An orphan and a widow. Let them strip off their clothing and leave. <laughs> the clothing did not belong to them. If you want to keep the clothing, you have to deduct it from the ksuva. An orphan, it means it means like a field hand, who, you know, someone who has, who has he doesn't have anyone to take care of him, so he has to like uh, he has to become like a field hand and live in the master's house, in the house, and and he take clothes him and feeds him and he does all work. So an orphan and a widow, shalach, they have to strip a puk. Even though we learn the Mishnah, going to Shmuel, nevertheless, the law follows Rab. Which Mishnah? Now, and we learned in the Mishnah, in Erechin, 
one consecrates all of his property to the base of Mikdash, to the temple. One makes, donates his own erich, his own value. The Torah gives a fixed value, and he donates his own value to the temple. The temple treasury does not have right over the clothing of his wife, and not over the clothing of his children. And not in any colored garments that the vower died for their sake, for the sake of his wife and the children. Or shoes that he purchased, new shoes that he purchased for their sake, for the wife and the children. So what do we see from here? That the clothing that he gives, that he gives belongs to them, like Shmuel said. So therefore, the mission seems to support Shmuel. You don't deduct it from, for, from the Ksuvah. But nevertheless, the law follows Rav that we do deduct. Uh, if we have a Mishnah, a clear Mishnah, stating like Rav, like Shmuel, why do you say the law follows like Rav? The initial understanding of the Mishnah flows like Shmuel. You would think it supports Shmuel's opinion. But when you think about it, when you examine it more closely, you realize that my time was the reason. Because on what terms did the husband give her the clothing? She's going to stay with him. He never gave her clothing and she's going to leave him. So she's going to leave him, give me my clothing back. So you're right. When, when he gives clothing for his wife, because they're married forever, until death, to his part. So we're going to marry forever. So of course I'm giving you clothing and it belongs to you. But you walked away from the marriage. I'm sorry, give me my clothing back. <laughs> The daughter-in-law of the house of Baral Yoshi, the daughter-in-law was demanding a ksuva from the orphans. From her husband's estate, she brought them to court. They said, it's demeaning for us to go to court dressed like this. <laughs> we, you want us to come to court, dress us up nicely, not with rags. She went and clothed herself and covered herself with all the clothing that she possessed. They said it's embarrassing for us that you should go to court poorly dressed. It reflects badly on us. So she came dressed in all the finest clothing, took out a fine, nicest dresses and put it on. He said to them, the law follows the He says, We evaluate what's honor and we deduct it from the Ksuva. The orphans are very smart. Why did they tell her that? Because they wanted her to bring out of the closet all of her fancy, the fanciest dresses that she had. When it comes to the court, the court can say, okay, we're going to duck the value of these dresses that we are wearing because the law follows it out. The husband never intended, never gave you this clothing that you should uh, walk away. And therefore, we have to deduct it from the ksuva. Hmm. The says, there was a certain person who said to his family, let a dowry be given to the daughter. 
Yeah, 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 you give daughter, you give for the daughter clothing and adornments, you know, jewelry, adornments. After his death, they dropped in value. The, the things that he left over for his daughter dropped in value. says, The prophet. The prophet goes to the orphans, to the ears. In other words, he's not entitled to more. Not she's not entitled to the value. We don't evaluate by the monetary value. And therefore, let her buy now whatever that money could buy her. She can buy a lot more. No, no. It's those items that he committed. That's what we give to the daughter. It's less in value. Okay. Who benefits? The orphans. Mm-hmm. They, they they can spend less on her. Mm-hmm. Another story, there was a person who said, when he was dying, he said to the family, we continue on side B, 54B. Four hundred zuz of this wine is dowry to my daughter. Then the wine became expensive. Appreciated by the inflation. Everything shut up. Rabbi says, The prophet goes to the orphans. In other words, even though the wine isn't worth more than 400 zuz, they only have to give her 400 zuz. If it buys less wine, not, not well, now the wine, that amount of wine now costs 600 zuz. So maybe they have to lay out 600 zuz. No. They only have to give her what you get for 400 now. So the extra, the extra wine, they get to keep, and that's, and that's, uh, that's to their benefit. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not like it's her wine. Her wine appreciated that belongs to her. It's not her wine. He's saying this amount, this is the amount that you should give, that you should give, this is the amount that you should give. That's it. Your mother says, The relatives, The father's wife was depleting the father's resources. Well, she ate a lot. <laughs> he passed away. And no, he was eating a lot and the father was dying. And they were afraid that after his death, her extravagant lifestyle, her Madison Avenue, Park Avenue lifestyle, <laughs> uh, Fifth Avenue lifestyle is going gonna, is gonna to ruin, is going to take everything away from them. It's going to deplete all their, all, their, every, all their inheritance. Also, come there, they came for Rabbi Echenon. He said to them, Go tell your father that before you die, you should designate a specific piece of land for her support. So that way, you're going to limit her support to that land. If she whatever, whenever she only gets the value of that land, and once she depletes it, then, then she's left with nothing. She's not entitled for further support. Also, the comment so they followed Rabbi Yechon's advice. After the father's death, they came before Rish Lakish. Rish Lakish said to them, On the contrary, he increased her support. He doesn't limit, he wasn't limiting her, her consumption. On the contrary, he's giving her another source besides the estate that has to support her lavish lifestyle. But also, he also added the piece of property on top of it. Because he didn't say, if the father would say, let this field be in support, then you're right, that would have been the, that would have limited the support. 
But he said, let this field be for support. So he's just adding. In other words, if the ears are not going to support her to the level that she's accustomed to for a lavish lifestyle, on top of it, she's also going to get the uh, income of this field, of this piece of property, also go for her support. This building, all the rents will also go to the support her. Amrulay, so the ears said to the Shlokish, well, Rabbi Echen Lamarachi, Rabbi Echen didn't say like you. On the contrary, Rabbi Echen said, go tell our father, and he used this language, go tell him that he should say that this field, that this piece of property is for your support, and he meant to say that it should limit her. It would limit the mother only to this field and to this piece of property and not to anything else. Amaluhu, Shlokish said to them, Zilu go give her. What she, her support that she's used to. If not, I'll remove Rabbi Yechnum from your ears. <laughs> you didn't accept it. Was, I'm going to excommunicate you. And you're going to have to uh, ignore Rabbi Yechnum's advice. You have to obey my ruling. Also, they came back to Rabbi Yechnum. He said, Master, what should I do? A man in my own stature argues with me. He disagrees with me. I hold that when the father said, I'm designating this piece of property. It's limiting to this piece of property. But Ishlakish is, is my peer. He's my level and he disagrees with me. There's nothing I can do for you. It was later explained to me what Rabbi Echenon said. The father said the field is for support. He means he's increasing his support. But Amr b'mizaynes. But if he says is in support, katzus l'mizaynes. In other words, Rabbi is not arguing with Rishlakish. Rabbi Yechon actually agrees with Rishlakish. The that it depends the language that he uses. If the father on his deathbed says that give this for her support, then he's adding support. That if the children, the estate is not going to support her lavish lifestyle. On top of that, she also gets the income from this property. But if they say bimizaynes, that means he's limiting only from here. This is all you get, and if it doesn't, uh, if it's not enough for your lifestyle, tough luck. <laughs> we conclude the fourth chapter, and now with Hashem's help, we start the fifth chapter. Even though we said that the minimum amount of exuva is that if she's a virgin, she gets two hundred zuz. And if she's a widow, she's not a virgin, she gets a hundred zuz. But he wants to add. He can add whatever he wants. He can even add a hundred, a hundred mana. Not a hundred zuz. A hundred mana. A mana is a hundred zuz. So how much is a hundred mana? Ten thousand zuz. He can add whatever he wants. Yes. If he commits, if he uh, commits himself, we're fine. The mother is going to ask. Obviously, a person could commit whatever he wants. It's his money. He can do whatever he wants with his money. What's the mission coming to teach us that he's allowed to add? If she becomes a widow or she's divorced, whether from the betrothal or after the marriage is completed, she collects everything. 
So he collects it all. Not only the ksuva, the basics, the hundred or the two hundred, but even the supplement that he added. He says, no, if she's divorced or she's widowed after the completion of the marriage, and you're right, then she can collect everything, even from the supplement. But if she's if she becomes a widow, the husband dies right after the betrothal, or she's or he divorces her, then gave Then all she can collect is a hundred or two hundred, because he never he never promised her the supplement if they're not going to consummate the marriage. If they're going to end up divorcing before he ever had a chance to marry her, that was never his intent. Mm-hmm. If the husband wants If he wants, he can write for a virgin two hundred zuz, two hundred zuz. He can write this She can write. I receive from you a mana. See it as if she received it. She never received the dime. But she writes, it's as if I already received a hundred. So really, you're only obligated to give me a hundred, not two hundred. And, uh, and for a widow, a non virgin, he commits to a hundred, and she can write a receipt to him. As if, as if I already received half. And therefore, in the time of divorce or death, you only have to give me, the state only has to give me fifty. No, Rabbi Meir says it's not, he can't live like that. Any marriage that doesn't have an, a minimum obligation of 200 uh, zuz, in the case of a virgin or non virgin, 100, it's, it's called promiscuity. It's not, a, it's not a kosher intimacy. You're not allowed to be intimate. So therefore, this is not an option. You can't write him a receipt. I, uh, it's the equivalent as if I received it. And therefore, I'm. I'm I'm, you're not obligated to give me the full 200, I'm happy with only half. No, that doesn't work. Okay. That's the mission. Okay, the mother says, Pshita. What's the, why does the mission have to teach me that if he wants to add, he can even add 100 money, he can even add 10,000. <laughs> Obviously, he can do whatever he wants. Why would I think he's not allowed to do that? I mean, the says, Maltem, I would think maybe the rabbis instituted a fixed amount. Not to embarrass someone who doesn't have the many things that we do, not to embarrass. Like by Bikurim, we have the Koyan call it out loud. You don't want to embarrass someone who doesn't know how to read Hebrew, who doesn't know how to. So you don't want to embarrass anyone. So here, you don't want to embarrass a poor person. You know, so you want everyone to give equal. No one can give more, like the half a shekel. No one give a penny more. No one give a dime less. This is all. This is the minimum. This is the maximum and the minimum. Right. So that's what he comes to teach us. Kamashvila. No, you can write whatever as you want. If you're rich, you're a billionaire. Lay it on thick. It's okay. Argument amongst the Rishonim whether you have to separate the two payments in the ksuva. You write that this is the basic. The basic is a hundred or two hundred. Yeah. And then here's the supplement. Or could you write it all one? That this is my doubt. This is what I'm giving to the virgin marriage. I'm giving 10,000. Or do you have to separate it or not? Some say that, that it, it, it's, if it's all, if it's separate, there wouldn't be any embarrassment. 
What would be the embarrassment? This is the minimum. This is the requirement. You want to give more? Of course you can give more. No one's going to be embarrassed. You don't have to give. You could. You could. If you're a millionaire, a billionaire, add. But if not... Uh... So when, the, when they're saying that you would think because of embarrassment, not to embarrass anyone, it would all be the same because we're talking about he's, he's just writing one amount. He's not separating. Well, this is the minimum and then I'm adding to it a supplement. No. This is what I'm giving to my wife, the virgin. I'm giving her 10,000. And this, this poor fellow is only giving 200. So that's why you would think there's an embarrassment. He says, no, you're allowed to. Others say no. It would still be considered an embarrassment. That here, you're stopping at 200. And here, he's giving his wife 10,000. And you, you're already giving your wife nothing. You're not adding anything. A dime, a cent. So you would think it should not be allowed. That's what he says. But therefore, it really should be separate. This is the basic amount, and this is a supplement that I'm adding. If he wants to add, the mission doesn't say if he wants to write for her. If he wants to add, in other words, it becomes part of the ksuv. you would say he wants to write so you write uh, so you, you know, I'm writing a gift I'm giving her a gift it's nothing to do with the ksuva he says if he wants to add to the ksuva that means even the supplement is considered part of the ksuva it has all the conditions of the ksuva so Masailer Rav Eibam Rav Yanei Rav Eibam Dam Rav he said tonight ksuva ksuva a stipulation of the ksuva in addition to the ksuva has the same laws as as the ksuva what difference does it make if it's called the ksuva, it's not the ksuva, it's part of the ksuva, it's uh, just a gift. There's a big difference. There's 14 nafkeminas. To be continued tomorrow. Everyone have a wonderful day.